This morning, I thought we, it would be good for us to pray for and pray about hope. <clears throat> hope for ourselves, hope for our church, and hope for the church worldwide. And the text I've been using is precious to Carol and myself. It's Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So let us pray. Father God, we confess that our day-to-day experience are often so, so unexpected and chaotic and hard and seemingly unfair and sometimes just so overwhelming that they leave us confused, afraid and despairing. And for many of us, this pandemic year seems harsher and more despairing than what we've ever experienced before. So forgive us, Father, when we feel that you've let us down, that you've forgotten us or abandoned us, that your promises are hollow and our prayers are unanswered. Father, please help us to understand that the opposite of despair is hope, that when we're confused, afraid and despairing, we can remember Jesus' words to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe that when we're thinking we're at the end of our rope, we're never at the end of our hope. To believe that no matter how desperate our situation seems, we always have hope in Jesus. And to believe that no matter what happens on this earth, Father, you are in control. Father, please forgive us when we put our hope in ourselves rather than in you when our hope is in our wealth or our health or our employment or our relationships or whatever other arrangements we construct. Forgive us when we make our hope and our significance and our purpose and our meaning in life the things that we do, the things we achieve and how morally we live. Father, please help us to draw hope and strength from the many, many Bible stories where all has seemed lost until you took control. And help us to draw hope and strength from our own personal experiences and the experiences of this, our church, where seemingly circumstances that seem to be against us have been turned into new opportunities for growth. Father, please fix in our hearts that because our hope is in Christ, we can let go of past failures, regrets, guilt, and look forward to what you will help us become. Help us, we pray, that as Christians individually, as our church in this place in Blackwood, and as the church worldwide, that as we demonstrate as Christians who we are and what we do, and that loving and all-wise God really exists, that we may become beacons of hope to the world around us. And as beacons of hope, may we draw more and more unbelievers to Jesus. Father, Please help us to understand that suffering is here only for a time and it reflects the nature of this fallen world. May we understand that our ultimate hope is in the eternal, where there will be no more suffering. And may we look forward with hope now to that day when all suffering is ended and hope and faith are no longer needed. The day when we're with God and with Jesus, and fully experience their eternal love. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so this morning's message is entitled Roots That Go Down Deep. We've been talking about that a lot this year, haven't we? About putting our roots down. Um, our theme scripture today is found in Jeremiah 17, verse 7, and it says this Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Tree roots sense the environment. They sense the water where the nutrients are and they go for it. Roots are the smartest part of the tree. Some trees will send their roots down many, many metres, even through rock cracks, just to get to the water. The deeper a, a tree's roots go, the better the chances that the tree will survive in times of drought. A Christian can develop roots that go down deep into God through daily meditation on the Word, through prayer, and by depending on the Holy Spirit. When I say a Christian can develop roots, I'm not suggesting the Christian life is simply a matter of self-effort. I'm simply saying that there are certain things we are called upon to do, and if we neglect them, then we're in danger of becoming, in the words of Jeremiah, like a bush in the wasteland. Imagine the beautiful trees in the forests in Queensland, all rich and green, and then try and picture the Nullarbor with spinifex blowing everywhere. Well, that's the difference between being putting our roots down in God or not. Christian growth is not automatic. It occurs only when we team up with God. God is continually seeking fruit in our lives and the fruit is produced to the extent that we encourage our roots to grow. Roots that draw nourishment from a close relationship with God. If our spiritual roots draw only from the surface waters of life circumstances, we will not bear fruit. The more deeply our roots go down, the more fruit will be produced above the ground. Though God enables us to grow in our Christian life, we have a part to play too. Our godly responsibility is to respond to all that he reveals to us of himself. Let's get over the idea that we can just sit back and wait for God just to act in our lives. We must avail ourselves of the divine resources. And that involves developing certain habits and cultivating certain practices. When our spiritual roots go down deep, life circumstances will not affect us. Well, they will affect us, but there won't be any great effect. Our fruitfulness is determined by the type of roots we put down. Welling up within every Christian is a spring of water that is not dependent on life circumstances but on a deep relationship with God. This spring of water flows constantly regardless of droughts and that living water is the spirit of Jesus within us. 
Christians whose roots go down deep have found, as Mike just read this morning in Psalm 46 verse 4, the rivers whose streams make glad the city of God. We may ask, what is the secret of living in a an effective Christian life? I guess there would be many possible answers, but probably in a nutshell, what a a lot of um, Christian writers have concluded is that it's having spiritual roots that go down so deep that we depend on nothing less but God rather than on life circumstances. A close relationship with God provides us with an inner tranquility and joy and we just couldn't live life without those things. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now James Moffat translated this text in this way. Instead of being moulded to this world, have your mind renewed and so be transformed in nature, able to make out what the will of God is. Evidently, a renewed mind can renew our nature. The mind is the key. The mind dictates what shall be and what shall not be. It's the nature of our nature. But the mind cannot be told to be calm and tranquil and full of joy until it is resting in some assurance beyond itself. For the mind to be truly tranquil, it must be able to make out what the will of God is. Only as our roots go down deep into God can we be unshakably calm and poised. Unless we accept the fact that God is in control of things and that a good and benevolent God is at work in our lives, then we don't have a secret of victory. So the very first thing we must ask ourselves is, how deep is our trust in God and how great is our confidence in him? Our soul cannot relax and remain untroubled unless we are convinced of the love and goodness of God. A God who loves us enough to give his son to die for us and who arranges for those who trust him to have an eternal home in heaven. This God has to be good. I came across these lines recently. They read, Nothing that happens can harm me, whether I lose or whether I win. Though life may be changed on the surface, I do my main living within. When the things of this world on which we may have been relying fail us, we are challenged to send our roots down deep and search for spiritual nourishment. No matter what happens in life, we always have a choice. We can attempt to find what we need to sustain us in the things of this world or we can send our roots deeper and go after the things of God. Why is it that some Christians put their roots down deep and others do not. I think Dave's got a picture for me. There we go. I took this picture when we were on a houseboat in Renmark a few months ago and 
it, it just really spoke to me because that tree is, was quite a big, tall tree and a lot of its roots had gone down into the soil. But there were other roots that were just hanging and dangling. And it just spoke to me that church can be like that. You know, there are people that put roots down and then there are people who do not. And when I saw that, I thought, it's just like the ones that put the roots down still sustain the ones that don't put the roots down. But there's a big difference between one half of the tree and the other half that hasn't put the the roots down. Just a picture that really spoke to me. I wonder if we ask the question again, why is it that some Christians put their roots down deep and others do not? I wonder if it's an issue of trust. Jeremiah would answer the question this way, I think. In our theme scripture, he has already stated that blessed are those who trust in the Lord. But he goes further on and adds, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength. Now, I'm not saying that God is the one who curses. I think we bring bad stuff on ourselves when we don't trust in God, when we trust in the things of the world instead. It's far easier to put our confidence and trust in the things we can see and quantify rather than the things in which we cannot see. When, however, we trust God and believe that all things are working according to his purposes, then we find our roots going deeper and deeper and deeper. There are things we ourselves can do to stimulate the growth of our spiritual roots. And this morning, let's look at three main ones. Dave, if perhaps you can put the the happy, the happy picture back. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so the first one, let's look at three ways to stimulate growth. The first one is spending time with God through reading his word, the Bible. Let me tell you about Bishop Paul Kern. He's a, he's an American of the Methodist tradition and I love what he says about the Bible. He says, I read my Bible because within its pages I find power for the ordering of my inner life. It assures me that mankind is supremely dear to God. It tells me to where I am bound and why. And in its pages are found the secrets by which mankind walks the pathways of light and hope. It teaches in the words of Emerson that the great lesson of life is to believe what the years and centuries say against the hours. Now, let's think for a moment about Ralph Waldo Emerson's statement. He was a philosopher, an essayist and a poet. But that's what um, touched um, Paul and, he, and, and so um, let's say that again, refresh our memories. Believe what the years and centuries say against the hours. What do the hours say? Well, they tell us that things are very uncertain. What do the years say? Well, they tell us that a sovereign God is in control and that we belong to a kingdom that is unshakable. The more time we devote to God's word the more unshakable we shall be in times of trouble and confusion. David said, as recorded in Psalm 119 verse 16, 
I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And he goes, goes on in verse 105 to say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Our Christian life will be greatly impoverished if we do not spend time reading God's word. The word of God speaks to us at our greatest steps and that's because deep speaks to deep. We discover it to be a revelation because it reveals. It reveals God to us and also the condition and the needs of our heart. I found something interesting in Revelation 10 verse 9. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle John and Pat, at Patmos when he's getting all these revelations. So the Apostle John tells, So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. The instruction to eat the book is a way of saying that the words of God must be assimilated and become part of the tissue of our lives. If Holy Scripture is to be something more than just words on a page that give us information about God, it must be internalised. John is being challenged to do more than pass on information about God. He is being commanded to assimilate the word that comes from him. Then when John speaks, the word will express itself in his message and personality in the same way that the food we eat is assimilated in all parts of our bodies and issues forth in action and speech. Every word of scripture is intended to produce something in us to give us spiritual health and vitality. It's not enough to read the Bible. It must be digested. There's a rather sad story of a bishop of Alexandria many centuries ago. He believed the instruction to eat the book should be taken literally. And so he ate whole passages of the sacred manuscripts. It's said that he became ill and died after eating a large portion of the Book of Lamentations. (laughs) The purpose of assimilating the word is not that we might store it in our minds as information, but that it might enable us to live the life that God intended for us from the beginning. We ought to take the word into our lives in such a way And to quote Eugene Peterson, that it metabolises into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. When we eat the book, it gets into our bloodstream and becomes part of us. We may ask, how do we work up an appetite for God's truth contained in Scripture? Here's a few suggestions. Firstly, realise that the Bible is no ordinary book. It's a unique volume. Our assessment of the material that we find in the Bible and the mental attitude with which we approach it makes an enormous difference. When we open its pages, we are really reading a divinely inspired book, God's one and only published work. Although God made use of human channels, he did not surrender his divine authorship or permit the book to become the word of man rather than the word of God. 
Secondly, if we do not approach the scriptures in an attitude of willing obedience, then we will quickly lose our desire to spend time reading the word. This is connected within the working of our defence mechanisms, for our instinct is to withdraw from anything that may challenge us. John Stott says, when we come to the Bible with our own agendas formed unilaterally, our expectations preset, our minds made up, laying down in advance that what we want God to say to us, then instead of hearing the thunderclap of his voice, all we want to receive is a soothing echoes of our own prejudice. The more we are willing to obey, the more God's revelation will flow from the Bible into our hearts. Thirdly, another way in which we can develop a greater appetite for scriptures is to think about how vast the biblical world of revelation is in comparison to the secular world in which we live. The secular world seeks to figure out the answers to human difficulties through logic, experience, intuition, but the Bible opens to us another source of knowledge, and that's divine revelation. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 to 10, my favourite scripture says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The Apostle Paul reminds us that our external plan is being worked out of which the secular world has no idea. The Bible gives us not only a view of the past, it gives us a view of the future. And what are the benefits that come from the daily reading or at least regular reading of the scriptures? Firstly, reading the Bible contributes to the development of our faith. How does faith grow? Well, Romans 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes from hearing the word. Secondly, reading the Bible helps us to worship God. Without the scriptures, we would be like the Athenians that Paul addressed who worshipped an unknown God. Thirdly, the thing that comes from exploring the scriptures is that it nurtures hope within us. Another benefit is that we learn to obey God. Just by reading the scriptures, we start to really obey God. There'd probably be heaps of other benefits too, too numerous to mention here. An interesting thought I had when I was typing this up was that someone who will not read is no better off than someone who cannot read. I just found that interesting. Okay, let's move on to consider another way in which we can grow deeper in our spiritual journey. And that's personal prayer. Carol would like this bit. 1 John 5 verse 14 tells us that we have confidence that God hears and that he answers our prayers. Circumstances do not dictate what happens in our day. Prayer does. You can be sure that the devil is hell-bent on hindering every Christian in their prayer life. The first thing a tiger does when it attacks an animal is to go for its throat in an attempt to cut off its air supply. And Satan attempts to do the same thing with a Christian by cutting off the oxygen of the spirit that comes into the soul through prayer. He sets out to make a Christian powerless. Prayer is pivotal. Pivotal. Dr. E. Stanley Jones once said this, 
When I pray, I'm like an electric bulb put into an electrical socket full of light and power. When I don't pray, I'm like that same bulb pulled out of the socket. No light, no power. In prayer, our weakness is linked to God's omnipotence and our ignorance is linked to his infinite wisdom and our finite self to the one who is infinite. Alexis Carroll, a Christian writer, says, Prayer is the most powerful form of energy one can generate. Prayer produces spiritual energy within us, enables us to move above the irritations of the day and to focus on moving from task to task with poise and power. The prayerful are sure of their directions. The prayerless are usually hurried, flurried and worried. Can I give you a few suggestions to a deeper prayer life? I've been learning more of this during the week and I'm, I'm taking this to my own heart, believe me. Firstly, consider carefully why you may not have a strong appetite for prayer. Just a personal thing to think about. Consider that a vital prayer life needs to be close to the top of our priority list right at the top, near the top. And we need a commitment. We need to say, okay, I'm going to commit myself to deepening my prayer life. And and just remind yourself that God is more anxious than you are to establish this two-way communication. Pray first thing in the morning, if at all possible, and find your quiet little comfortable spot. Let God speak to you first through his word before you speak to him through your words. If your mind wanders, don't be discouraged. Just pray about where your mind wanders to. Be alert to the fact that some things you just don't want to pray about. Do what the apostles did. Ask God to teach you how to pray. And try to pray less for things and more for a deeper relationship with God. Many saints of the past tell us that the deeper our roots go down into God, the less we become interested in asking for things. We become more interested in getting closer to him. When we talk with God, it adds a plus to all our thinking, all our loving and all our actions. God extends his character through us. In doing so, he extends our character and we lose ourselves And in losing ourselves, we find ourselves. So prayer, it's very important, just like reading the word of God. Now our third resource, if we want our roots to go down deep, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in action. He's a person whose role is to impart life and power. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God coming upon people temporarily to provide them with power for certain tasks. Always, however, his visits to the world of men and women were occasional and at special times. What people longed for was for the Spirit to remain upon them permanently. This was the great hope of the Old Testament to which saints and prophets really looked forward to. They prophesied that the day would arrive when power would come from heaven to earth and remain. Hallelujah. 
The Holy Spirit has come to stay. Have you noticed how in Scripture the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are often used interchangeably? We don't have the time to search through the Scriptures, but take note of that when you're reading. The Holy Spirit seemed to the the disciples to be the Spirit of Jesus at work within them. They were one. God dwelt in a holy temple, then in a holy person, And now he dwells in us to make us holy. Each time God came closer to humanity until he came to the ultimate place within us. The law of the Old Testament became the life in the incarnation, which became the liberty given in the era of the Spirit. And that's the era in which you and I now live. How amazing. From first to last, the Christian faith is a religion of the Spirit. John the Baptist predicted that Jesus would baptise men and fill them with the Holy Spirit, and this was fulfilled. One of the great challenges we face as Christians is is to go down to the deeper levels and tap the resources of the Spirit, which is available to us. It's a huge challenge, but it brings so many blessings. Here's a question we can ask ourselves. Am I relying on my own abilities rather than on the Holy Spirit? We have to reach out to him, confess our inability to function effectively in our own strength and send our roots down deep and draw on the resources the Holy Spirit gives Having talked in general terms about putting our roots down to draw on the resources of the Holy Spirit, what steps can we take to do that? Well, we can begin by asking ourselves this. How conscious am I of the Holy Spirit being present in my soul and at work in my life? Let your answer help you on your spiritual journey. In an, an important note to, to make here is this. The church in Laodicea was accused by our Lord of being lukewarm. Being lukewarm is the same thing as being half empty. The metaphor changes, but the condition is the same, and the condition is complacency. Complacency is one of the worst states in which we can find ourselves spiritually. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, was Paul's command to the Ephesians. Half full isn't what God wants for us. So how can we go deeper and have a full measure of the Holy Spirit? Well, we must ask the Father to give us his Holy Spirit. Romans 8.5 says, Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We must open ourselves to the Holy Spirit by an act of faith. This involves surrender, and often surrender is regarded as being the same thing as dedication, but it's not. In dedication, you still retain whatever you are dedicating, your abilities, your gifts, your talents, and so on, whereas in surrender, you just let go. 
And Paul reminds us in Galatians 2.20, our old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. The Holy Spirit is waiting and ready to give himself to us in all his fullness, but he can only do so as we give ourselves to him in all our fullness. Why is it what we have been discussing, why is it so important? Is it just so that we have a stronger sense of tranquility and joy? No, it's because primarily our Heavenly Father is looking for spiritual fruit in our lives. The message paraphrases the first few verses in John 15 this way. I am the real vine. And my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. So while we, are work- while we are working on deepening our spiritual roots by reading the word of God, by prayer, and by being more open to the Holy Spirit, our Heavenly Father works on us by br- pruning the branches of our lives so that we will become more fruitful. He prunes us into fruitfulness and beauty. So, so much more could be said. So can we come to him in obedient trust today and tell God that we want him to help us send our spiritual roots down deep into him? Can we all say amen to that? Amen. Okay, so I always like to finish with a video clip and so many of you tell me that you like it. So so Sarah usually finds them for me, but I found this one. Because we need to remind ourselves that in the context of all this, we need to remember grace, God's wonderful grace to us. The other thing is we have to realise that the battle belongs to him. And in this song, Paul Wickham sings... He sings, when he wants to fight, he fights on his knees and he lifts his hands and reaches out to God. I love this song. I was thinking of Sam. It, must, it reminds me, it must have been like Sam in his heyday with his band. So let's listen to this song and be blessed. And please take what we've discussed home and remember, it's just so important for our growth. Thank you. song, amazing time we've had uh, together this morning. Um, look, before, before we um, head out and, and have coffee and time together, just um, 
during the song, the Holy Spirit song, uh, you know, we were praying for God to move and speak, and I had a had a picture. I had a picture of a of a crab with a big claw going like this. I was like, oh, what's that about? That's you know, that's just my my brain and my mind. And then when Willie was talking about the tiger going for the the throat uh, and and the life, the you know, the air um, being being taken, I just got a sense that. Yeah, so, there's some people here that are just really sensing the the claw, like something's just coming at you, uh, your circumstances in your life, or um, something that's, that's happening in your spiritual journey. And perhaps today the Lord's asking you to just come and and receive some prayer, and to just really break through uh, that, and to know that uh, there's no power that can come against us. That Jesus has won the battle, and we we have overcome, and uh, we can live in the victory and the freedom of that. So. Uh, if, if that's you, if you sense that, uh, we'd just love to pray for you. But also, just got a sense, um, as, as Willie was praying about the Holy Spirit and, and being um, half-filled, um, perhaps there's just a longing for us to be filled again with the Spirit this morning. Uh, if that's you, um, we've got the, the prayer lounge just, just through here, or if, even if you just want to come out the front, um, just as some music's played and, and uh, people head out, just really encourage you, don't let that opportunity get past you by this morning. Uh, we are here together to pray for one another, to uplift one another in, in prayer. And so if, if that's you uh, in any of those situations or, or any other situation, we'd just love to, to pray with you and just really uh, allow the words to uh, come into us and to really be part of our being as we go out into the world and into our weeks. Maybe be empowered uh, with the word of God that's been spoken to us today and may we come away changed uh, because of, of the word that's been spoken. So, Lord, we, we thank you for your, your presence amongst us today. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the word that's gone out. We pray that we take hold of that word and we do uh, digest it. Uh, we, we think about it. May our minds be transformed by that as we leave this morning. We pray your blessing on every person uh, in this room and ask your, your guidance and your goodness to go before us in all that we do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you all.